0: So here, uh, before we jump in, we're going to start at the very beginning, Exodus chapter one. It's the second book of the Bible, way back in the Old Testament. Um, I would love to have you follow along through this series. So here's what we: if you're new to the church, and I see some new faces today, um, one of the things that we want as a church is for all of us to be in the Word of God, to have that be a part of our regular life. Now I know that we were talking about this yesterday with some friends that. 20, 30 years ago, we would have Sunday morning church, which would involve Sunday school and then Sunday morning church. So you'd be here for like three hours. Then you'd go home and have a nap, and then you'd come back for Sunday night church. Who remembers Sunday night church? It's a whole different church service right there on the same day, Sunday. And then you'd have midweek discipleship and all through that you'd be reading stories. And so one of the things we've done as a church that's bad these days, we just have Sunday mornings. So a lot of people don't really have the experience reading the Bible, knowing all these stories. where There's a lot of great stories in the book of Exodus. But here's what we want to do. We want you to be in the Word of God, to be in the Bible, to have a Bible that you read throughout the week. If you do not have a Bible that you can understand or that makes sense to you, let me know, or if you don't have a Bible at all, we will give you a Bible, and you can take it home, and here's what I think we should do, okay? This will be fun. woo fun. Um, the Bible that you have at home, you should bring it to church. We had a, an interesting example this morning. Someone said, this is why you should bring your Bible to church, because they were pulling it up on their phone, and they hit the wrong button, and Siri started reading the Bible to us during the sermon this morning from somewhere over here, so. Um, but more than that is... We hear from a lot of people that, well, I don't know, you know, I try to read the Bible, it doesn't make any sense, or I don't know where to start, or I read things and I don't have any idea what's going on. So here's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. We're going to study the book of Exodus. So you could go home and read a couple of chapters, come to church with that same Bible, and then when Christy or I or whoever is preaching, you can highlight things, you can underline things, make some notes. This Bible I use here is the one I use to preach just because I can highlight which verses I'm supposed to read because my 47-year-old eyes take a little while to find the spot if I don't have it highlighted. But at home, and Christie's the same way, the Bibles we have, there's underlines, there's notes from sermons that we listened to years and years ago so that when I'm reading a passage of Scripture, I'll be like, oh, I remember that sermon. I remember what the preacher said. I can think about this in a different way. So that's going to help you. Hopefully, after this series is over, you'll have somewhat of an understanding of the book of Exodus, if you're a person that just has a hard time reading. So I'd love to get your Bible, have you bring it to church, and then underline things. And if you're thinking, it's the Holy Scripture. I can't write on it. I can't highlight it. That's that's okay. I'm giving you permission today. This This book itself, we believe that the words in it are very important, but you can... Write in it, write notes, highlight it, because those are going to be the things that help you remember, all right? Yes, excellent. Okay, so we're going to start the book of Exodus. This is a great, uh, it's a book filled with a lot of great stories. So there's been, mo- there's been actual movies made about the stories that we're reading today, movies that star Charlton Heston, and I'm sure there's a more modern one, but if you got Charlton Heston starring in your movie, you know the stories are going to be really good. The Book of Exodus, if you've ever ever read through it, the first part of it is all the cool Charlton Heston stories. And then the second half of it kind of gets into more where God is giving the law. That's where it gets a little dry. But we'll still do okay with that. Where There's a lot of good stuff in there too. It's where God is giving the Ten Commandments and all the other rules and regulations. But we're starting today with the start of the story where Moses, the hero of the story, comes on the scene. All right, we good? We good so far? Okay, we're doing good. So this continues, really on the storyline, continues right from the book of Genesis. Continues right into Exodus. If you were here a year ago, I guess it was when we were online, we were um, doing a series on the life of Joseph, Joseph from the book of Genesis, where... Joseph was the guy with the amazing technicolor dream coat. He was his father's favorite, had all the brothers who hated him. They sold the brother into slavery. And then uh, Joseph got sold to Egypt and became a slave in Egypt. And then he grew up, got influence, became like the second most powerful man in Egypt, basically saved the nation of Egypt from a famine. And not only saved Egypt from a famine, all the surrounding areas, including Israel, including the other brothers, who were living not in Egypt, they heard that Egypt had food. So they all came, all the rest of the brothers came to Egypt to get food, and they were reunited with Joseph. Great end to the story. That's how the book of Genesis ends. Well, that is how the Israelites got to be, uh, you know, settled in Egypt. That's how they became, Egypt was their home. So that's where we pick up the story. Uh, We pick up the story. We're going to start right at the beginning. Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. If you don't have your Bible, uh, the words will be up on the screen. We won't need them on the screen next week because everyone's going to have their Bible. It's going to be awesome. Okay, Exodus 1, verse 1, it says this. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Okay, so I'm going to pause there just for a minute. That is, if you read through the book of Genesis, you know the story. There's Abraham, and then there's Isaac, and then there's Jacob. Well, the story of Jacob is there was one night where he was wrestling with an angel. And after that night, because he was wrestling in prayer, the angel said, God, God is going to change your name from Jacob to Israel. So when you hear the sons of Israel and then you hear Jacob, that's the same guy. So all the sons of Israel were those guys we mentioned, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, all 12 of them in all. Well, if you go on through the Old Testament... After Israel gets into the promised land and they settle their land and they become a nation, all of it is broken up into 12 tribes. Well, each of those tribes is one of the descendants, is the descendants of one of these 12 brothers. So the 12 brothers each had their own tribe, and that's, you know, that might be Bible geek stuff, but I just wanted to highlight that. If you're ever reading and you're like the tribe of Benjamin and you'll see the tribe of Judah and the Levites, and that's where they all descended from, from these 12 brothers. There's a couple exceptions, but we won't get into that today. Verse 6. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king in Egypt, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous and if war breaks out, Will join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses and store cities for Pharaoh. So here's where we're going to stop for a minute. We talked about the 12 tribes, we talked about how Israel settled in Egypt and then grew in number, and the new king in Egypt saw them as a threat because they were becoming more numerous than the Egyptians. So they decided, we're going to turn them into slaves. We're going to put slave masters over them, work them hard, building bricks, building basically the the Egyptian empire at that time. This is what is happening. Bitter labor for the Israelites. Slave mistreatment. This is the, the situation that we find Israel in when Moses comes on the scene. There was one other thing. Pharaoh decides that the Israelites are so much of a threat that he wants to kind of weed them out. Of you know existence really, and he tells the Hebrew midwives when a, when a Hebrew person or an Israelite person gives birth, if it's a girl, let them live because then they can you know mix mary with all the Egyptians and everyone else. If it's a boy, kill him because we want to weed out these Israelites over the next few generations. So this is the situation that we are in in Israel. It happened over a period of time. A new king came in, did not know Joseph, saw them as a threat, and now they were a slave nation. And it says this in verse 15 of chapter 1. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose name were Shiphrah and Pua. Oh, I already explained this. Spoiler alert. I already gave this away. When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that baby as a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. And the midwives, however, feared God. And did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. So this is how Moses is born. This is why Moses survived. Because these Hebrew midwives decided, we're going to ignore Pharaoh. We're going to let these boys live. Moses was born to two parents from the tribe of Levi. And for the first few months, they tried to keep the baby hidden so that nobody would know this illegal Egypt or Israelite boy was born. But parents with small kids. You know, you can't keep your kid quiet very long, right? Anytime you tell your kid to shush, that's like an invitation to start screaming. You could, we couldn't even get through a church service when our kids were little without people knowing you like, there's those kids again. By the way, we love having kids in here, just so you know. <laughs> this is where Moses is born. And they hid the baby as long as they could, and eventually they said, we can't hide this baby any longer, so you might be familiar with the story. The parents put the baby Moses in a basket, place him in the river, and hide him in the reeds and the weeds area, and then they just watch to see what's happening. Now, this is a small part of the story of Moses, but imagine being the parents kind of hiding and watching. Like, whoever discovers this baby dictates whether this baby lives or dies. And then the daughter of Pharaoh comes out to the river, finds the baby... And the Bible says it has pity on the baby. It has mercy on the baby because the baby was crying. Pharaoh's daughter brings baby Moses into her house, raises her as her own son. And this is how Moses becomes where he is a forbidden Israelite boy, but now is being raised in Pharaoh's house. Um, Eventually, Moses grows. Becomes a man. He one day sees that outside there's an Egyptian who is mistreating and beating up an Israelite. And Moses says, I've had enough of this. So he goes out and starts a, little, starts a little ruckus with the Egyptian. And he ends up killing this Egyptian. And he thinks, okay, nobody saw, so I'm probably good. But then he discovers not only did other people see him kill this Egyptian... But Pharaoh knows about it. Now, Pharaoh is on the hunt for Moses. He wants to kill Moses because Moses killed this Egyptian. So as a result, Moses flees from Egypt. He flees to Midian, away from Pharaoh, and he begins to have a family in this land far away from Egypt. So we're going to pause there. Now, today's a little different because I'm just giving you a lot of background to the story so that if you're not familiar with it, you can kind of get caught up on the story. This is where we find Moses, who we know is going to be the great hero in this story but he is far away from the land where he's supposed to be. He's committed this crime. He's an enemy of the state. He's basically in the middle of nowhere, tending sheep for his father-in-law. I say that to say this. There are many examples in the Bible, stories in the Bible, where the guy or the woman that God is going to use finds themselves in situations where they're like, there's no way God can You can find them there or use them there. Obviously, Moses has messed up where God might have planned to use him, but now he can't. He's on the run. He's living in Midian. There are so many stories where the hero of the story, the people that God uses in mighty ways, have less than glamorous beginnings to their story. So, that is for us today. Wherever you're at, God knows how to find you, to insert you into His story, to call you out of where you are into His plan for your life, right? It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter. I mean, it might matter if you've killed an Egyptian. But, you know, if you're on the run, if you're hiding, if you're in the middle of nowhere, if you've messed up, if you, whatever it is, God can say, I see you. I can call you from there. You're never too far from God. I wanted to highlight that today. All right, so we're going to jump ahead to uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. It says this. This is as Moses was in Midian. says this in 3 verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? When Moses saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Jump ahead to verse 10. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is like the first kind of set up the conflict in the movie, right? This is the first big plot development in the movie. God has heard the cries of the Israelites. He's calling Moses and he said, I'm going to use you. We're going to go get our people out of Egypt and lead them into the promised land. This is the introduction to the story that God is going to deliver his people. The land promised to Abraham hundreds of years ago, God is going to deliver on that promise. He calls Moses to be his instrument of deliverance to lead the people. And in the weeks to come, we're going to study the story more, where Moses goes, confronts Pharaoh, the great escape, the wandering in the wilderness, all of these things. But here's where we're going to stop the story today. And I just wanted to give you kind of the setup, talk about the call of Moses, God's call to use him to bring great deliverance to the people of God to lead the people. And we're going to dive into the story again next week and the weeks to come. But I wanted to highlight a few things just from the start of this story that are really going to be themes that we're going to see throughout. Three things that I think if we kind of make note of them now, you're going to see them recur over and over and over again. And the first one is this. And here's a big one. God's story is a redemption story. Right? God's story is a redemption story. The story of Exodus is about God bringing redemption to his people, freeing his people people. The story of Scripture throughout is God's redemption story. You might have read the Bible, and there's parts where you're like, this doesn't make any sense, and what's this about? Or maybe you have friends or family members that you're like, I don't even know what the Bible is. If you want to know what the Bible's about, it's about God's story of redemption. God has his people who are lost and he reaches out and he brings them to him. He redeems them. He saves them. Not just in Exodus, throughout. That's the whole Bible right there. If you've never read it, I just spoiled the ending for you. Spoiler alert, it's a story of God's redemption. He is the God who saves. And so this happened with the Israelites in Exodus throughout scripture and then after scripture was done being written for generations and it's with us today God's story with you and me is still a redemption story. That's what it's about. That's why we are here. That's why we have our faith in God. He is redeeming what is lost. And if you're here today and you have been found by God, you are a follower of Jesus, you are still a part of God's redemption story because now we are about getting other people involved in God's redemption story. We take this good news, we are followers of Jesus, and we say we want to find other people and involve them in this great story of forgiveness and healing and eternal life, right? That's why we're here. That's why if you want to know what the meaning of life is, another spoiler alert, that's it. We are a part of this great story of God's salvation and mercy and redemption. Amen? Some of you look super excited about that this morning. This is what it's about. And what, even in this first three chapters of Exodus, we see how God uses so many different people in big ways and little ways as a part of his story even just looking at, like, well, the Hebrew midwives who decided to disobey Pharaoh's orders, God used them in, as part of the story, right? They were instrumental in Moses being allowed to live because they decided to do what was right. Pharaoh's daughter is a part of the story who saw the baby as an Egyptian could have reported the baby, had the baby killed, instead, had pity. Mercy on the baby, raised this baby up. God used Moses who was in hiding. There's, there's stories of Jethro, his father-in-law, being used. All these other people, we are involved in this in all sorts of ways. And if you're thinking, well, I'm just not being used by God, or I can't be used by God, or I don't know what God wants me to do, or I'm wandering off, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. God has this ability to just put people into your life or put you into somebody's life in just such cool ways where you're a part of the story of somebody bringing their life to Jesus Christ, right? That's amazing. I love times where I look back and I'm like, God, I thought I was just doing this, but you were using me in a part of their story. And now look at what you have done in that God wants to use you in the story. So whatever you, wherever you're at, whatever circumstance you are in, God is calling you. This is not just a Moses thing. God is calling you to say, hey, let's be a part of this. Let's do this. You are a part of his redemption story. You are always in the right spot to be used by God, to be called by God. And it can simply be by showing kindness, pity, empathy, support, serving others. It can simply be that where you are a part of somebody being drawn closer to salvation in God. Amen? All right, second one is this. So the first one is, its, a, it's story is a redemption story. The second one is this, and this is a big one. I'm going to spend a little more time on this. This story is about the fear of the Lord, the fear of God. This, you're going to hear that phrase over and over again. You're going to read different things where it says, well, this person feared God, and so they did this. This person didn't fear God. And so and, you know, there's going to be times where it's like, this person didn't fear God, and all of a sudden the ground opened up and swallowed him, or God wiped him out. Unrighteousness led to God doing things where we, you know, in our modern world and thinking, we think why would God do that? I don't know if, you, if you've experienced this. I talk to a lot of people and their objection to faith in God or that even that God exists is because how cruel he seems in the Old Testament. Have you ever talked to someone like that? Maybe you think that today. God's wiping out like whole nations of people and because they said one wrong thing, all of a sudden they, you know, die and that, and he commands that people be killed. And there's times where you look through that and you're like, man, I don't like this God. Like why is he doing that? So here's what I wanna talk about today in regards to the fear of the Lord or the fear of God. Have you ever heard that before, right? Maybe it was for me it was like maybe a parent in my life saying, You know what you need? You need the fear of God in you. You ever heard that before? And what that means is they want me to obey and listen to what mom and dad say, and otherwise God's going to get me. So I'm, as a kid, I'm growing up like, well, not only am I, is my dad going to spank me, but now i got to worry about God. Like, what's he going to do? And reading this, like, is the ground going to swallow me up or bears attack me or something like that? We, we hear that, the fear of God, and we think, well, God is vengeful and angry, and we need to be afraid of him. And there are probably people on street corners with signs and megaphones today shouting those very things. But that's a misunderstanding, I believe. And here's what I want to talk about. When we see the fear of God, I want us to think like an awe, a respect, a value, an importance. Like this is of utmost importance. And instead of seeing these stories and seeing, well, God is angry and vengeful, we need to think, we need to reframe how we view that and think not angry, we need to think, holy, okay? We need to not think angry like just some petty God, like, you're bugging me. I'm going to smush you out. He is holy. Holy is perfect righteousness. Holy is perfection, sinless, and holiness cannot be around sin. That is why God set it up where animal sacrifices had to be made for people's sin, because sin and unrighteousness and disobedience in the presence of holiness cannot be tolerated. It needs to be wiped out. This is not God being angry. This is God being holy. He can't just tolerate sin. We think of it in our human terms like, well, he should be okay with that. Like, God can't be like, yeah, you're doing your best, right? We'll let it slide this time. If he did that, he's not holy. Holy is perfect and cannot tolerate sin and unrighteousness. Now, Scripture, when we read through this book and other books in the Bible, there's so many stories of God's kindness, his love, his mercy, but we at the heart of this need to recognize he is holy, and we are unrighteous and sinful, and that should cause us to, you know, first and foremost, have at least an awe and a respect, like Moses in that moment of, like, recognizing he's in the presence of God, like oh, i, I gotta got to hide my face a little bit. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later on. Like, we don't need to hide our face like Moses did, but he had an awe and a respect of, this is not just going to see a counselor. This is not just going to see a pastor. This is God, holy, perfect, the creator of the universe, the maker of all things. There should be a healthy fear of the Lord, a respect. Does that make sense? So when you read some of these stories... I want you to start thinking of this is holiness and this is what happens with unrighteousness encountering holiness. Because we love to view God in all sorts of different ways, don't we? And maybe you've heard that we live in a world today where it's all, a lot of people are like, well, you know, I'm doing my best, and I'm going to find my own way, and all paths lead to heaven, and I'm not perfect, but I'm okay, and, and all of these things, and, and we, uh, we agree on this, that this is truth, that our view of God would be that God loves me and wants what's best for me. And we would say, yes, we believe that. But what we do, we like to say, well, God loves me and wants what I think is best for me. So I get to decide what's best for me and what I want and what's going to make me happy. And then God's going to make it happen because he's awesome. He's my buddy. He's my co-pilot, right? He just wants me to be happy. He's like the genie in the bottle, the genie in the lamp that we call on when we get into ourselves into a jam. We're like, God, can you fix this for me, right? We're buddies, right? We love that view of God. The problem with that view of God is that God doesn't exist. And there's a lot of people walking away from church and faith in God because they have this view of God like, God's just supposed to be here to be my buddy and make things work out for me. And when it doesn't work out the way we think it should, we all of a sudden question God. And God was never designed, God's never designed things to say, I'm going to make all your dreams, hopes, and dreams come true. This is not, he's not there to be your buddy or your boyfriend or your counselor or all these things. He is the God of the universe. Okay, so we're going to start there. He made everything. He spoke the word and planets came to existence. Okay, so we need to have a healthy fear of the Lord, the one true God who is awesome in power and holiness. And there is a reverence like Moses experienced, a reverence required for us. This is holy. We honor it. We respect it. We have an awe of it. That's what the fear of God is. So what I want to do is talk about, practically speaking, a couple of things, three things, that what does the fear of God look like? Again, I don't want us to walk out of this place all scared. What'd you learn in church today, friends? Well, Homestead, they taught me to be afraid of everything because God's going to get me as soon as I mess up. That's not what I'm talking about. What does the fear of God look like? Well, the first one is this. When we have a healthy fear of God in our life, it leads to obedience, I mean, we don't like that in turn. We love to make our own destiny and decide for ourselves. At the heart of this message is he is God and we obey him. That's pretty simple. It's not easy. We don't like to do it, but it's pretty simple. Look at the midwives in that verse that I read, verse 17 of chapter 1. The midwives, however, feared God. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do, but they let the boys live. They feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. Pharaoh had the power to wipe them out, right? And still they said, it doesn't matter what Pharaoh says. We fear God. We obey God. When the words and the commands of Pharaoh differed from the commands of God, they said the choice is easy. We are following God. This was the fear of the Lord. When the commands of the world in our life differ from the commands of God, what do we do? Who do we listen to? What is our ultimate allegiance? What do we fear or honor or respect most? Is it approval of other people? Is it making sure we do things as the world does it? Or are we like those midwives as a part of this story saying, it doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what family members or friends say. First and foremost, I obey God. That's why it's so important to know the word of God, to spend time with God so we can say, God, I want to put you first. I obey you first and foremost. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Putting him first. Whenever you make a decision saying, is this based on the teachings of man or what's popular in today's world or what's going to make me happy or what's going to make me feel good? Or is this based on the word of God and I'm going to obey him because I have the fear of the Lord in my life? A lot of us spend a lot of times trying to get ourselves out of situations that are difficult because we just made decisions that were not based on the fear of the Lord. There's times where we've made decisions based on a temptation that we face of what's going to feel good or what seems right or what's going to make me happy. And all of a sudden, even though in the moment it felt right, we recognize that was definitely not wisdom. (laughs) Right? Ever been there? I've been there. That was definitely not wisdom. If we have the fear of God as what's going what's to anchor our decision-making, what's going to be the thing that's in front of us when we make any decision, what does God want me to do? That is hard because we have to push down our flesh that's saying, oh, no, but this would feel better. Oh, but no, this would, you know, put that other person in their place. Or, oh, no, this is the temptation that you always give into." We have to have that fear of God that leads to obedience because, as I said, at the heart of it, he is God. We are not. So we obey him. And man, do we like to resist that, don't we? We love to be the decision maker and then say, God, I'm going to make the decision and then just trust you to fix everything. That's not how it works. The struggles you're in so often are a result of the fear of something else other than the fear of the Lord. The fear of someone else or something else or just an inability to push down the flesh and honor God. The fear of the Lord, first of all, leads to obedience. The second one is this. The fear of the Lord leads to a hatred of sin. Now, I want to talk really clearly here, okay? Because there's a lot of Christians running around, and there's a hatred of sin, and everyone looks at that, and they're like, those Christians are the worst. When I talk about hatred of sin, I'm talking about hatred of your own sin, okay? Not other people's sin. We do really good at that. We do really good at all those sin, sin, bad, terrible, and then when it's on our own life, we're like, yeah, I'm doing okay. (laughs) Sure, I'm not perfect, but, you know, God loves me, and he's my buddy. And everyone else is like, that's sin, get it out. We love that, right? We do that super well. Hatred of sin is hatred of sin in your own life. We get so complacent at times with patterns of sin in our own heart, temptations that have always tripped us up. We get so used to it. I think one of the ways the enemy loves to get us, to trip us up is to just become complacent with areas of sin and compromise in our life that just feel normal. And we're like, eh, it's just kind of who I am. And then we think, well, God will forgive me. And Jesus will forgive me, and we know that the blood covers that, and it does. But we have this complacency with sin in our life. There is no power on this earth that should oblige us to sin against our God. A fear of the Lord would do wonders in our hearts, right? It would do wonders in our world, and we like, yeah, they need the fear of the Lord. We need the fear of the Lord. So when there's times when we're facing temptation, we say, am I going to give in to this for the hundredth time this month? Or do I have a hatred of sin based on the fact that I have the honor and the respect of the holy God and I want to pursue righteousness like that is the most important thing? That's what leads to a hatred of sin in our life. So why don't you bring a hidden sin and into the light and confess? It's because we have a fear of what other people are going to think. We need to have a fear of God a hatred of sin, to do whatever it takes to bring healing, to resist that temptation, to obey God. We have to push down a devotion to the flesh. Why do we pursue, you know, self and chemical addictions and gossip and slander and selfishness and lust and greed and anger? Because we are truly devoted to something other than the fear of God. Because we have the flesh that we refuse to push down. We need to develop a hatred for that. There's times this week where You know, this is the... You want to know the worst part about my job? There's not that many of them. And it's not having more and more discussions about masks in church. That's second worst, okay? (laughs) The first thing that's the worst is that when I'm preaching, I'm studying all week and I'm preparing. And there's just so many times where I'm like, why do I got to be preaching on that? Because I'll be facing something like, oh. It's like the Lord is speaking to me like, oh, you want to preach on that Sunday? How about that in your own life? And I'm like, oh, this is the worst. So there's times this week where I was just reminded, just different attitudes, actions, words that I've just gotten complacent with. And it's just that voice of the Holy Spirit saying, okay, smarty pants, you're going to preach on this. How's this going in your own life? And I'm like, man, I should have preached on something more fun this week. We all do it. We all have to have those moments where we're like, am I going to gratify the sinful nature or am I going to develop a hatred for sin because it gets in the way of pursuing a righteous holy God? Amen? The fear of the Lord involves that, developing that view of sin in our life, not other people's sin, our sin. We know that the mercy of Jesus Christ covers everything. So if what you're hearing today is anything like condemnation, you have to know the mercy of Jesus Christ covers sin. We are not saved through any sort of good behavior or getting rid of enough sin in our life. We are saved because of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, rising again. His mercies are new every morning, but we should never take that for granted. We should never take advantage of that. Our approach should never be like, doesn't matter now, he's just going to forgive me, right? The price that he paid is high and great, and we should honor that and say, God, I want to pursue righteousness, and I'm going to trip up, and I'm going to fall short, but I'm not going to become complacent. I'm going to pursue holiness with every day that I have, and I'm going to develop a hatred for areas of compromise and sin because I recognize you are holy, and I want to be righteous, and I plead the blood of Jesus to cover me in all the ways that I am not. Because at at the heart of the message is this. We are sinful people in front of a holy God, And because of Jesus Christ, when God looks at us, he doesn't see sin, failure, compromise, yelled at his kids, looked at bad things on the internet. He doesn't see any of those things. He sees the righteousness of Christ. He looks at us now and says, righteousness of, like, perfect, holy. He sees us as holy because we are covered by the blood of Jesus. That is amazing. But that should cause us to pursue righteousness, not take mercy for granted. Which leads me to the third thing about the fear of God. When we have a healthy fear of the Lord, yeah, it causes us to have a hatred for sin. It causes us to obey. And the third thing it should cause us to do is worship. Worship. When we come into this place, we're not coming into the presence of God. The presence of God does not, you know, sit in a church building But it's within all of us, but when we are mindful of the presence of God, we don't have to be like Moses anymore, who's like, oh, the presence of God, i got to hide my face and kind of cower in fear. The Israelites were not even allowed to go into the Holy of Holies because the presence of God was too strong for them, and they were too unrighteous. But because of Jesus, we walk into the presence of God covered in the righteousness of Christ, boldly approach the throne of God and he sees us as forgiven and righteous. So that alone, when we come into a church service or every day of the week, we should wake up in the morning and just worship. Thank you, God, that I am seen as forgiven and free, that I am made right in your sight. Thank you, Lord, that my sins are not held against me and all my failures of yesterday are now covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for the price that you paid so that this could be real, right? So when we come to church, it should be, yes, I'm going to lift my hands and sing because of what Jesus has done, because of the sacrifice that he has made. This should cause us to rejoice in every situation. Whatever storm you're facing this week, we should have an underlying rejoicing of, I am made right and righteous in the eyes of God, and that is enough for me. We're going to talk more about the fear of the Lord in the coming weeks. As I said, this story has a number of times where that is a theme. But here's what I want to close out with talked about the fear of God. We talked about that this is a redemption story. But here's a big thing about this story. And here's a big thing that you need to apply to your life today. And it's found in Exodus 3 verse 7. It says this, when God is talking to Moses through the burning bush. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. And it goes on to say, so I have come and we're going to deliver them. We're going to set them free, and they're going to be a nation that is in freedom. I'm concerned about their suffering. I have indeed seen the suffering of my people. I have heard their cries. That's the thing I want us to take away today, is God hears the cries of his people. God hears the cries of his people, all people. God hears your cries today. God hears the storms The cries that you are making in the storms that you're facing. God hears your cries yesterday when you were facing this unimaginable thing or this hurt or this heartbreak or when you're crying out because you don't know what to do with your marriage or your kids or circumstances in your life are so difficult. God hears your cries. He is holy, He is just and powerful, He's the creator of the universe, but He is not far off. He's not a distant God that doesn't care about you. He hears the cries of his people. Not just for the Israelites in Egypt, for for you today, whatever you're walking through today. He hears your cries. He's not angry. He's not cruel. He hears your cries for help. He wants to bring a redemption story to your life, to bring deliverance to his people. So in the midst of tears that you cry today or this week, God sees everyone. He hears every prayer. He is the God who is close. And that is the great news today, right? He's the God who is close to us. The creator of the world intimately cares about every detail of your life. That there is praiseworthy, right? The God that created the heavens and the earth hears what you are facing and the cries that you make. He sees your needs today. And He moves for your benefit and His glory. So here's what I want to do today as we wrap up. I want us all to close our eyes, and we're going to just take a moment for prayer. And i got a couple questions for you. But first, before we do that, I just want to let you know, as your eyes are closed here, if you have never made a decision to follow Jesus, if you've never taken that step so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin, but he sees righteousness and forgiven and eternal life waiting, Well, the Bible says it's very clear. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died and rose for you, then you're a child of God. So that can be right now. You can just say, God, I receive the mercy of Jesus Christ. I accept your salvation. I know that I'm a sinner. And if you do that, you are made new. You are free and forgiven today. But for the rest of us, here's what I want to do I'm going to ask you a question, a couple questions. What struggles are you facing today? So just think about that. What struggles are you facing today? Just bring those to mind. And for some of you, that's not super hard, right? We always are thinking about what we're going through. It's just difficult times. And in light of those struggles you're facing today, here's my next question. What is God's truth in the midst of that struggle? What is the truth of God in what you are facing right now? Allow the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God to just speak to you. Reveal His promises to work all things together for good. The God that will never leave you or forsake you. The God that hears the cries of His people. The God that orchestrates people into your life, you into other people's lives. The God that is always at work for a redemption, healing, deliverance story the God that is all-powerful, the God that knows how to provide in ways that are unimaginable. We're going to read that in the stories yet to come in Exodus, how he provides in ways that were unimaginable and miraculous. These are the truths of God in the midst of your struggle. Next question, is there anything in your life creating a barrier between you and God? Is there a hidden pattern of sin, something, some area of your life that you refuse to bring to the light, unconfessed, something? Is there an area of your life that is putting a barrier between you and God? Holy Spirit, search our hearts today. Bring to mind things that are hidden, past hurts, past compromises, things that we refuse to give over, temptations that we refuse to overcome. Bring healing, bring victory. Is there a barrier in your life between you and somebody else? And what should you do about that? Holy Spirit, speak to us. We know that the Holy Spirit can move and kind of contextualize a story of Scripture individually for us. So God, we just ask that your presence would do that. What we need to hear individually speak to us. finally I think we should just take a couple of minutes just right here with our eyes closed and just reflect on God's mercy and his kindness the fact that we are viewed as forgiven and free that our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from the west that there is no limit to the love of God the powerful all powerful righteous holy creator of the universe there is no limit to his love for you and his kindness for you. So let's just take a moment and just thank him for that. Jesus, we thank you for that. I pray that we would have a healthy fear of God in us this week, an honor and a respect that drives us to obedience, that recognizes the price that was paid for us, that seeks to honor you in everything, God, Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for your story, your redemption story that you are writing in each of our lives. How you are making all things new in our lives and how you are using us to do the same in other people. So, Lord, we want to be a part of that story this week. We thank you and we praise you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. amen.